Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome. It's nice to be with you guys on this lovely Sunday morning. Uh, so this morning, we're going to be continuing the series I started uh, a while back in the book of Galatians. So uh, if you guys have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. We'll cover verses 1 through 10 this morning. Uh, Yeah, Uh, let's pray and then we will uh, dive on in. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for this chance that we have to come and study your word. Lord, I just pray as we uh, discuss through Galatians chapter 2 that you'll just give me the words to speak, Lord, and that uh, we'll all be having ears ready to hear what you have to speak to us, Lord. for your body for for today, Lord. Uh, I thank you, and I pray this on your name. Amen. So if uh, you guys like to take notes, I like to uh, title my messages. Uh, So the title is Unity Amidst Conflict. So starting in Galatians chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, it says, Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and also took Titus with me. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run in vain or had run in vain. So what we see here first is that Paul has made his way back to Jerusalem 14 years later. Uh, The last time we were in Galatians, we saw how Paul had gone to Jerusalem to see Peter three years after his conversion. He was there for 15 days, and then he proceeded to go from there to Syria and Cilicia. It has now been 14 years. Now, the wording is interesting here, and if you read it too quickly, you might miss it. Uh, It doesn't mean 14 years since his last visit. It means 14 years after his conversion. Paul does the same thing in the previous chapter, when he said, I went up to Jerusalem three years after. So it's actually been 11 years since chapter one. So now there are two things here that we see about his return to Jerusalem. The first thing is who is with him. So we have Barnabas, who's a Jew and well-respected by the leadership in Jerusalem and also Paul's ministry partner throughout his first missionary journey. And then there's also Titus, who's a Greek. Titus was a Gentile convert who was likely converted through Paul's ministry. So Paul brought with him a Jewish believer and a Gentile convert. It's a perfect illustration of God's grace for everyone, right? It's stated in uh, later in uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So Paul brought two people from two different upbringings, a Jew and a Gentile. They were both saved, they were both spirit-filled, and they were both being used by God. It exemplifies unity as the body of Christ. It doesn't matter what your past is, it matters what your present is. We're all part of the body. Now the second thing, that we see in this is why 
they're here. It's been 11 years since Paul last stepped foot in Jerusalem, and he's here now because God has told him to. Matthew Henry put it this way. He went up by revelation, not of his own head, much less as being summoned to appear there, by, but by special order and direction from heaven. This is something not uncommon for Paul. He was very sensitive to the call of the Holy Spirit, to the direction of the Holy Spirit. Just to list off a few different instances, we see in Acts 16, 6 through 7, that it says, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. We also see in Acts 18, 9 through 10, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision, Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And then lastly in Acts 20, 22, And now compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. So, Paul is very sensitive to the Holy Spirit in, ev- in all these different circumstances, whether it's the leading to go to a certain place or not go to a certain place, whether to speak in a place or not speak in the place, right? Or go not knowing what's going to happen. He's really, really sensitive to that. Now, in this specific circumstance, he feels led to go to Jerusalem by revelation from God. Now, I don't want to continue here without asking, how are we when it comes to the leading of God, to the call on our lives, right? When he calls, do we answer? When he, are we ready to go whenever he calls, wherever he calls, to do whatever he calls us to do? Paul certainly was. We can take that example from Paul. So Paul, he makes his way to Jerusalem to share about God and what God has done on the missionary journey that he just went through with Barnabas. Now, this specific meeting with the leaders uh, in the church of Jer- in Jerusalem is the same meeting that is mentioned in Acts 15. So looking at Acts 15, verses 1 through 2, we're going to see another angle as to why they're here. It says, And certain men came down from Judea and taught the brethren, unless you are circumcised according, uh, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. So there's this contention amongst the believers. Many thought in order that you had to be Jew in order to be saved. Right? So Paul comes in to communicate the gospel that he's been preaching on this missionary journey through these Gentile nations. Now he comes privately. He took the leaders aside so, so as not to embarrass them. He took, the lead, uh, yeah, he took them aside not to embarrass them publicly. He didn't know who taught what or how these leaders would receive hit, like the gospel that he's been teaching. And he also had the right attitude 
in this. His attitude wasn't, I'm right, you're wrong. I'm right, whoever disagrees with me is wrong, and I, wanna, I can't, just can't wait to confront them publicly. So many people have the attitude that they're right, they're wrong, you're wrong, nothing you can say, nothing you can do will ever change my mind. All this does is put up walls between individuals. And that doesn't just happen in the world. It also happens in the church. Churches split over the smallest things. Whether you ha- wear a suit or whether you don't wear a suit. You have to come to church in a, like, fancy or you can just come off the street. Like, that, they're small issues. And so many churches just like, we're going this way, we're going that way. There are certain things that I believe are big things, but usually those aren't the things that churches split over. Sometimes we're wrong. You know, that's kind of a shocking statement. Sometimes we're wrong. Making things public will not help us change, always. Most times it'll just draw us further into ourselves. Paul knew that the leaders needed to discuss this one privately because he knew exactly what could happen if this was brought up publicly. Reputation will be destroyed with some of these leaders in Jerusalem. Like, churches will split. Like, the ministry that they were building from the time Jesus left, the call that they had on their lives could easily be just taken right down, cut down at the knees. So he knew that they needed to discuss this privately. Now Paul ends verse 2 saying, Lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. I don't think Paul believes here that he is teaching a false gospel, that he is running in vain in that sense. Paul believes that this conflict could cause, cause division and damage the work that has, been or, that has already been done in these Gentile nations. One commentator said, said this, the danger was that false teachers might undo Paul's work in planting churches and raising disciples for Jesus, and therefore would make Paul's work in vain. He didn't want to run in vain. He came to iron out the issues. Which leads us into verse 3 through 5, which says, Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And this occurred because, uh, because of false brethren secretly brought in, who came in by stealth to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. So the issue at hand is circumcision, amongst other things, but mainly circumcision. Remember that the legalists and the Judaizers believed that unless you were circumcised, according to the customs of Moses, you could not be saved. That's a works-based belief. 
Paul taught a completely different gospel. That's the gospel of grace. In Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. There is no list of things that needs to be done in order to be saved. And even if there was a list of things that needed to be done, we would never be able to complete that list. The idea that there's a list is legalism. You're just being brought back into bondage. Now, verse 3 really informs us of uh, what this outcome was in this conference, in this uh, throughout uh, yeah, in the conference, they accepted Titus as a believer and thus did not compel him to get circumcised. False brethren and teachers came in encouraging, that, encouraging them that salvation came from upholding the law of Moses. And Paul comes in and says, there is nothing we can do to obtain salvation. Martin Luther says, Paul did not condemn circumcision as if it were a sin to receive it. But he insisted, and the conference upheld him, that circumcision had no bearing upon salvation and was therefore not to be forced upon the Gentiles. There is nothing wrong with circumcision, but it won't save you. Now, I've been in the book of Leviticus lately for my daily readings, so I'm on my way to becoming a priest <laughs> Uh, learning that. Leviticus, basically, it just lays out how to be a priest in uh, following the laws and, like, how to, how to sacrifice and all that stuff. Um, and it's, there's, there's a lot of really good things in Leviticus. A lot of really good rules that really should be followed. But it's all under the Old Covenant, which we're not under the Old Covenant. We're under the New Covenant in Jesus' blood. We're not saved by the law. We're saved by grace. So anyone coming into the church saying you must do such and such to be saved is wrong because there's nothing that can be done to earn this salvation. So Paul, he goes on to say that this became, uh, uh, say that this became such an issue because of the false brethren that were coming in. They were sneaking in to the brethren, into the body. They snuck in to attempt to keep the body of believers in bondage. Now, I don't believe that the false brethren came in knowing that they were false brethren. I don't believe that they were like the same level as like false teachers who come in and like as wolves in sheep's clothing to divide and conquer. These men probably had the best intentions but they were still leading the flock astray. Though their intentions might have been good, they were still dangerous. And they opposed the standard set earlier in chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, that says, But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you that we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As I have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. They were preaching a different gospel. 
In doing so, they were keeping the brethren in bondage. They were to the law. Legalism puts us in a box. It doesn't allow us to experience the grace of God and the liberty that we have in Christ. Now, before we continue on to verse 6, Paul says that they did not submit. Though there was opposition, it did not shake their foundations. All the opposition and debate started with false brethren. And Paul remained steadfast in his belief. We see here how Paul deals with opposition. He does not yield. He stands firm so that the gospel may advance. How do we deal with opposition in our own lives? There's a lot of opposition in the world today. A lot of it. We see it on a regular basis. Seems like it's getting worse and worse out there. What's our response? How firm are we in our belief? When opposition comes, do we crumble or are we steadfast? You know, it's just like the story of the house on the rock versus the house on the sand. If our foundation is weak, opposition will destroy that house. We need a firm foundation. Which leads us into verse 6. It says, But those who seemed to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favoritism to no man. For those who seemed to be something added nothing to me. Now, I like to break down passages when I study to teach into different sections. Helps me kind of find my train of thought through it. So far, we've looked at the trip that Paul made. And then then we went from there and looked at the issue that's presented. We now come to the approval. And there's two different aspects of the approval. First one's found here in verse 6, and it's that Paul does not care about the approval of these so-called famous Christians, otherwise known as the church leaders. These leaders added nothing to him. They did not give him the gospel. God did. John Stott had this to say about Paul's attitude. Paul's words are neither a denial of nor a mark of disrespect for their apostolic authority. He is simply indicating that although he accepts their office as apostles, he is not overawed by their person as it was being inflated by the false teachers. He cared about his relationship with God. He sought God's approval, not man's approval. Too many pastors and teachers today seek the approval of man. They try to look hip and young, and they're all, like, they all lead these mega church movements, being careful what they say to sound cool, and it's, it's, kind, it's, it's kind of the wrong attitude to have, kind of, majorly the wrong attitude. They desire to be liked by the people. They want approval. But Paul, he takes a different route here. He seeks the approval of the creator rather than the approval of the creation. 
We need to be caring more about what God thinks than what man thinks. Yeah, we may get far if we care about what man thinks here, but it's not going to do us any good in heaven. We need to care about what the Creator thinks. Now, the second approval that we see is in verse 7 through 10, which says, But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel for the uncircumcised had been committed to, to me, as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter. For he who worked effectively in Peter for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively to me in me toward the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who seemed to be the pillars, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me Barnabas as the right hand of fellowship, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. The leaders of the church in Jerusalem accepted the ministry of Paul. They approved of it. Paul, he was called to the Gentiles. Peter, he was called to the Jews. Paul to the uncircumcised, Peter to the circumcised. There was no need to be circumcised to be saved. I really love Warren Wearsby's insights on this passage. He says there was an agreement and unity. One gospel would be preached to the Jews and to the Gentiles. However, the leaders recognized too that God had assigned different areas of ministry to different men. One gospel for all. Now the distinction that Paul was called to the Gentiles and Peter to the Jews was not an absolute. There was not a hard line that could not be crossed. Both Paul and Peter would focus in their spheres uh, and the spheres assigned to them by the Holy Spirit. But there could be overlap. Right, we know that Paul had a great burden for his own people, and every time he was back in Jerusalem, he would go to the synagogue, he would meet with the people. He had a great heart for his own people, but his ministry was still to the Gentiles. Now, each and every one of us have distinct roles, but that doesn't mean that we will never change those roles, or that those roles will never change. For example, I feel called to youth ministry at this point in my life, right? I teach the youth. I I love doing it. That's my call. I know that for a fact. That's my call. My heart is to see the youth grow in their knowledge and understanding of Christ and in their relationship with him. And though I'm called to youth right now does not mean that I will always be called to youth. At some point, I feel like Eventually, I might be called away, but I don't know. I'm, I'm not God. I will move when he calls me to go. So it brings, up the qu- brings back that question I asked earlier. Are we ready to go wherever it is he calls us to go and, whatever, and do whatever it is he calls us to do? Our calls can change. They're not absolute. Right? There's a little bit of overlap. I teach youth, yet right now I'm teaching you guys. That's a little bit of overlap. 
So lastly, before we close, uh, or before Paul closes, uh, ends this section, he says, they desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also was eager to do. Some commentators say that the poor is referring to the poor saints in Jerusalem, and others talk about the poor being the needy. I personally don't know which one it's referring to. I'm not all-knowing. But I want to look at it this way. We have the true gospel. How often are we sharing it with those who are in need of it? Those who are in need of it is everybody. So why is it that those who have the false gospel are quicker to share their false gospel about this truth than we are to share about the actual truth? You have, for example, Mormons. They spend their entire lives, early lives, saving up money for a missions trip at the end of high school. They all go on, I I believe it's a year-long missions trip after high school. They are so dedicated to a false gospel. Yet, most of, the ch- most of the American church has never been on a missions trip. That doesn't necessarily mean you have to go somewhere international, but we're not even reaching our own community for the most part. Most of the church has never done that. We need to be remembering the poor, the needy, those who need the gospel, everybody other than the church. What are we doing for God? We're kind of in that mindset of laziness. We just, we're in that American culture, kind of, we like to sit back and everything comes to us. We need to get up and do something. So in closing, it's a little, wow, it's only 10.55. Okay, in closing, if there's one thing you could take away from this message, I hope it's this. There is a lot of conflict in the world. There's a lot of opposition. There's a lot of issues. Also in the church. We as the body need to be unified amidst conflict. We are one body. We have one gospel. We need unity. A house divided cannot stand. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you um, just for the ability to meet, Lord. I thank you um, just for your body here in Okotoks. Lord, I just pray that we, uh, that we find this unity in you, Lord, that we uh, seek to glorify you in everything we do. May we advance your gospel, the, the gospel to the world that is so, so, need it, so needs it, Lord. Lord, I love you. I thank you. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.